That's the good news of the gospel, that the Lord makes beautiful things out of us. Thank you, Caleb and Andrea and Dave. Get out of town. I didn't know you played keys, Dave. Dave Matthews. Not of the Dave Matthews band, but Dave Matthews nonetheless. We're going to have to rethink that. Well, it had to happen sooner or later. I guess there's nobody from Grace on the front page of the News Observer today, uh, on today's paper. We've, we've had a little run here, haven't we? I understand Rhett and Lake were on there a few weeks ago, and Sean and Melissa last week, and I don't know if Jim and Joy Acock are on there today or not. I know they're getting on sometime. When you hear the title preacher, what comes to your mind? Preacher. No doubt you think about the guy up here. You think about the one who's standing behind the pulpit on Sunday morning sharing the Word of God. Some preachers talk quite loud. Others are rather soft. Norma Callahan likes the loud kind so she can hear. She'll say sometimes, that was the best sermon you've preached in a long time. You were loud. So that constitutes, and in fact, that does constitute a good sermon in some people's mind when you do that kind of stuff, you know. Not Norma, she just likes to hear it, you know. They're all good, she just can't, no, I shouldn't say that. She just can't hear some of them. Ignore this, please don't look at that pencil and pen there. It'll drive me crazy. Some people do, though. Some pastors uh, <laughs> seem to think that volume is a substitute for knowledge. While others think... The Holy Spirit ain't even there if it's not passionate and loud. So all kinds of different ideas about preachers, but there are far more preachers than just those who stand up here on Sunday morning and preach. I, I, I guess I've been known um, as a preacher almost all my adult life, even though I've only been a pastor. I've been doing this like this for 12 years. When I was at... Uh, at, at Bible college, I worked 40 hours a week in a, in a dye house in a knitting mill. That was nasty work, but it paid the school bills. And I was known there as preacher. Everybody had a nickname. There was this one guy who had real long hair. His name was Hippie. Uh, we called him Hippie. They called me preacher. One time, this was really bad. I shouldn't tell this, but I'm going to. This other guy brought a picture of his girlfriend, and Hippie's sitting there saying, Man, she reminds me of a movie star. He said, yeah, which one? He said, Lassie. <laughs> and the guy was really offended, and hippie really meant it too, you know. So, But I was preacher. I was pre they called me preacher. When I lived in the mountains, I was a camp director, but still I was known as preacher. There was a guy that had a shop not far from us. I've told this before. Some of you have heard it. Most of you don't remember it, even if you have. But there was this little a mechanic shop down the road, and I would take the car there, you know, and um, there were several bays for working on cars, and there was a room in the back. And occasionally, you know, the owner of the shop, when I would come, would say, Hello, preacher! You know, and it's kind of like a signal to the what's going on. I have no idea what went on in that back room. This... This guy is, uh, walks with the Lord today. I'm not so sure if he did at the time, but it, you know, just seemed kind of like one of those signals. Do you, you know who a preacher is? It's anyone who shares the gospel. 
Now, now, teaching elders are the ones who stand up here on Sunday morning and proclaim the Word of God. But if you share the gospel at work, in your neighborhood, or in Mozambique, it's you qualify as a preacher. Romans 10, 13 to 16. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We've seen that already, haven't we? From Joel. Joel chapter 2. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And by the way, folks, people know the name Jesus today, but they've never heard of him. They don't know him as we know him. They know him as a, as a teacher. They don't know him as the powerful Savior that he is. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I have no doubt that some of you have the nickname preacher at work or in the neighborhood. You're not in full-time ministry at all, but people say, oh boy, here's the preacher. Here comes the preacher. Let's see what the preacher has to say about that. Or in the family, you know, you've got... In the family, that if you've got a large family and a lot of them are, don't know Jesus, you're known as the preacher. Now, it may not be used as a compliment, that, that nickname, but it is. And don't get the big head about this, but if you are a preacher of the gospel, if you share the gospel with other people, then in the eyes of the Lord, you have beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news. Today we're going to look at the sermon that was preached on Pentecost. The day when the Holy Spirit came to indwell all of those who believe. It was different from then on. Holy Spirit used to come at certain times for certain activities, but now He comes and indwells every believer. We could spend several weeks dissecting this sermon. Instead of doing that, we're going to look at a pattern that was established for all of us who want to preach the gospel. So in just a moment, we're going to read the remainder of the text, the, 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 the part of the text, the portion of the text that was not read a little bit earlier today. And then we're going to seek to identify a gospel pattern in this message that will make all of us better preachers as we share the gospel. Our text that we will be reading is Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 41. So if you would, please stand, and we will read that together. And by the way, keep your Bible open. Most of the time when I'm making a, making a point on Sunday morning, I've got Scripture up here because I think that's really, it validates the point that I'm making. Not going to do that today. It's just going to be a list, this pattern. We're going to look at this pattern for preaching the gospel, for sharing Jesus with other people that's found in this. But you're going to want to look in, your, in, in, in the Word. And, and, and in fact, always it's better if you read in the Word unless it just happens to help you focus better to look at the screen. And that's fine if you do that. But but Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 22. Peter is speaking, and he's just finished quoting uh, this prophecy from Joel. And he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosened the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both about the <clears throat> patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel, there, Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Father, um, what, what a day, what a sermon, what a God who can literally make beautiful things out of the dust, who can literally snatch us from destruction, destruction that we have brought upon ourselves, and save us. Not only for eternity, but for this life as well. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Pierce our hearts with it this morning. Make us sorry for our sin. Make us glad for the forgiveness that is in Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Well, if we're going to preach or if we're going to advance the gospel... 
then we need to know what it is exactly we're going to do. Again, there's a beautiful pattern in Peter's sermon that day that, that he preached the day that the Holy Spirit came to the church. This sermon, by the way, was Peter's very first sermon. Can you believe that? And it, it was it was the first time he'd ever preached. Not bad for a first sermon. Actually, it was probably the best sermon he had ever preached. But what's really amazing when you think about it is that this sermon was preached less than two months, somewhere around 50 days after he had committed the greatest denial of Jesus in history. Never again will anybody deny Jesus as spectacularly as Peter did. And yet God is using him to preach the gospel on that day. That's encouraging, isn't it? Well, in order to effectively advance the gospel, we, we must first be ready when the opportunity presents itself. We've been talking about the 40 days that, that Jesus spent with the disciples after his resurrection and then another 10 days that, he, that, that they spent in study and preparation waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. But don't forget, Peter had three and a half years with Jesus. That 40 to 50 days was making everything, that's when everything began to come together. It all began to make sense. People talk about the simple teachings of Jesus. I don't know what you're reading when you, when you, when you read the simple teachings of Jesus. Nobody understood him. They didn't get it a lot of times. But in that period after his resurrection, he began to explain it. And, and they were piecing it together. It was all coming together, making sense. It was all there to begin with, but now it's beginning to make sense. What about the Apostle Paul? As far as we know, he spent 11 years, a minimum of 11 years getting ready for his ministry. Paul knew the Old Testament inside out. He was one of the brightest men of his day, and there were a lot of bright men and women in his day. And he was one of the, he was one of the absolute smartest people of his day. In 11 years, the Lord prepared him. And you know what both of them were doing? They were, they were deep in the Word, trying to understand God and His plan. On Pentecost, though, Peter was ready when the Holy Spirit arrived with the sound of a rushing wind, tongues of fire over the heads of the 120 disciples, and the ability to share the works of God in all of the languages that were represented at the temple in Jerusalem on that day. In verse 12, it says that many people were amazed and said, What is it? What's going on? I mean, it was at the, t they came running into the temple. Most likely they had been in that room. Possibility they were in a room at the temple, most likely in that upper room. The Spirit came and they went pouring out and, and the sound came with them. These tongues of fire came with them that were over their heads. And people were saying, we know God's doing something, what is it? But others, in verse 13, said, it's just drunk. That's a pretty good drunk when you got tongues of fire over your head, you know? Um, and, and, and there's a, there's very possibly a bit of humor in Peter's response. There's so much humor in the, in the New Testament that we don't see oftentimes because it's different culture. You know, when you're learning a different language, you've really got it when you get humor. 
because humor is oftentimes subtle, you know? It's, it's subtle. And, and there's a good possibility Peter was saying, boys, it's 9 a.m. Where are we going to find enough wine to get this many people drunk? It just, they're not drunk. God is doing something here, whether that's the case or not. There was interest in the gospel. People were saying, what's going on? Just like people say to you, what is it about you? What is it about you that is so different? Even if they don't say it to your face, they're thinking, I want some of what he's got. I want some of what she's got. And when the Spirit is moving, we need to be ready for that opportunity. Not only do we need to be ready for that opportunity, we need to be praying for opportunities to share Jesus. When the opportunities come, one of the primary ways that we show that we're prepared is to have a good grasp of God's Word. Now, you're not going to study like Paul did. You're not going to study like Peter did. I don't know that, certainly I'm not going to study like Peter did, walking with Jesus for three and a half years. You're not going to study like Sean or David, or I will study. You're just not going to study at that level. But you certainly need to know the Word better than you do right now, because God's going to be bringing people into your lives that need to hear from God. They don't need to hear from us. They need to hear from God. If there's anything in my life that's attractive, it's because of what God has done. Not because of what a great guy I am. And we need to keep that message clear. Now be careful not to be, you know, a dishrag for Jesus kind of a thing. And, and say, oh no, I'm just... Uh. But, but constantly be taking the focus to the Lord. And the best way to do that is in the Word because they've got questions. Sometimes questions are used to, to distract from the main purpose. Well, you know, what about this? What about this? But sometimes there are very honest questions that people have. And you need to be able to go to the Word or to say, you know what? I don't know, but I'll find out and I'll get back with you. That's far better than trying to give an answer you don't really know and understand. Peter used a rather sophisticated, not rather, it was an extremely sophisticated argument to exalt Jesus as the Messiah amongst his fellow Jews. He used the passage in Joel to inform the listeners that this day had been prophesied and the Holy Spirit would come on this day. And I was sitting as, as I can't remember, I think it was David who was reading that text from, from um uh, Acts 2 that was quoting Joel. I, it is, there is no way we can understand just how poignant this prophecy from Joel is when he says, on that day, even my male servants and female servants will prophesy. That was absolutely bizarre. For Jews to think about. But you know what was happening? Some of those 120 that had tongues of fire over their heads and were prophesying were women. It was just, it, it blew their minds. And they said, what is this? And Peter said, do you not recall in Joel? This day was prophesied. And then he went on to use 
a couple of passages in the Psalms, and, and he showed that the only way that these Psalms could be fulfilled was in Jesus. All the Jews understood this prophecy as prophesying about someone in the future. And, and, and over the last 100 or 200 years, they had begun to understand, they had formed a concept of, of the Messiah in their mind, and they saw this person as being the Messiah. They hadn't worked it all out because for the most part, they saw a Messiah just as the Jews had proven, I mean, as the disciples had proven 10 days earlier as one who was setting up a political kingdom. When the disciples just 10 days earlier had asked, will you restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Now, the Holy Spirit has come and all that Peter had studied is made crystal clear. And he's using a rather sophisticated argument to present Jesus from the Scripture. When you witness, do you have a, a, a particular formula that you use or a set of verses? I learned the Romans Road. You know, that was what I learned. Um, some of you learned the four spiritual laws and, and evangelism explosion. You know, I, there are different ways that we have learned through the years to witness. And I used to, you know, when Romans, Romans, you go, Romans 3, 23, 6, 23, 5, 8, 10, 9, and 10, and 13. You know, when you would use these to, 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 to establish the, the, the reality and the consequence of sin, the reality and the benefits of Jesus' death on the cross, the beautiful benefit of His death on the cross, and then the call for response, our need and our call for response. And after years of sharing this, I began to think, why is it that I have to jump all over Romans to do that? Well, here, I think, is the answer. We've been talking for a long time about how all of Scripture is the gospel. David said this morning, all Scripture points to Jesus. All Scripture is the gospel. It's all pointing in that direction. All in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the argument that is laid out so carefully in the book of Romans, that gospel message is all through Scripture. And it's unlikely that you're ever going to sit down with someone and, and go through the book of Romans unless it's in some sort of a one-on-one -on -one long-term Bible study or in a small group like we, like we did this year. don't know if anyone who was lost came and enjoyed those times. That's how Jim and Diane came to Christ, Jim and Diane McLaughlin. They went to a Bible study on the book of Romans and, and began to see it piecing together. It didn't take that long for the Spirit to say, this is the truth. And Jim and Diane said, we believe. And everything was changed on that day. Well, everything was changed on this day, on the day of Pentecost. And everything can change for somebody that comes into your life if you're ready, if you understand the Word well enough to share the Gospel. And if you're going to share it, well, you need to, to move outside of the book of Romans. Although to this day, if somebody said, what does it mean to be a Christian? That's probably where I'd take them. Right down that Roman road to, to salvation. This is the way to understand what it means that you're a sinner. Peter's argument was not like that at all, but it was the same thing. It was very sophisticated. And, and, you, and we have to remember that one size just does not fit all. 
And that leads us to our next point. When sharing the gospel, you need to know your audience. This past year in our study of the gospel, we learned and we concluded that that the crucifixion, Jesus' sacrificial death, the atonement for our sins, the propitiation for our sins is the crux of the gospel. You have to understand, you just have to understand that. That's a place our sins were covered, the righteous wrath of God was completely exhausted in Jesus' blood. But, but Peter doesn't talk about the meaning of Jesus' death in his sermon. All he does is say, you did it! You crucified him with wicked hands. You got the Romans in on it because you didn't have the legal right to do it. But it's your, the, his blood is on your hands. Why didn't Peter talk about the fact that our sins were atoned for there? Was it because he had first sermon jitters? No. Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, Spirit, knew his audience and he structured his message accordingly. These were Jews that had turned against Jesus. And they thought that they had silenced him forever when they had crucified him. But Jesus had risen from the dead and it was Jesus' resurrection upon which Peter focused and he said, and it was prophesied. And there's no way this could have been talking about David because David is dead and in the ground his body is decayed. It saw decay. But when he said, your body will not be left, he was referring to Jesus who is the Messiah. And he was sacrificed on your behalf. Not stated, clearly implied, implied. The resurrection was proof indeed that Jesus was the Messiah and the response of the audience later makes it clear that they understood the significance of Jesus' death. In our day, we deal with people who think they're okay because they were baptized when they were eight or they went through a confirmation class and they were welcomed in the church when they were 12 or because they're not nearly as bad as the guy down the street. We just think that good works is the way to heaven because it is the way of life. It's the way of world. You reap what you sow. That's a biblical principle. And the gospel is counterintuitive. And not only that, it just aggravates people when it is implied by someone else that they're not going to heaven because it says... You're bad, or it says, well, who do you, th-? They, they respond, who do you think you are, you arrogant thing, to think that you're the only one that knows how to get there? You ever heard that before, preacher? I'm sure you have if you've shared the gospel. Regardless of what people think, we must, as our next step in the pattern shows us, preach the gospel. We sing a lot about all the beautiful things God does for us today. We talk about the wonderful things that God, and it's so true. And the scripture talks about it. But a whole lot of the gospel preaching in the New Testament is like this. You 
have done this. You need to repent. You need to acknowledge who Jesus is. That is an incredible... And I'm not saying that we ought to do it exactly like it was done. But you know what? We absolutely have to preach the truth. We cannot let people think that they're okay because they're a member of a church somewhere. And it's just the easy thing to do, isn't it? I mean, when a relative or a neighbor or somebody at work says, well, you know, you say, what is your relationship with the Lord like? Well, I'm okay. You know, I was baptized when I was 12 years old. And I, you know, I joined the church and I, I do the best I can. You know what you want to do. You want to just say, oh, well, look, it's all about Jesus, rather than saying, you know, it's more than that. It's, it's not about just where you're on the roll. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. How would you say your relationship is? You know, taking it that next step invites conflict. It invites Anger, frustration, attack from the other person. But there is far, far, far too much at stake to allow people to think that we agree with their notion that their belief in God is all they need. We need to preach the gospel, and to preach the gospel is to preach Jesus. You think Peter did that in this sermon? Big time he did. And he said, this Jesus that you crucified, God has made Christ and Lord. That was a powerful statement for Peter to make. He was basically saying, remember, Lord, curios. He used the word curios in the Greek. Most likely Peter preached in Greek or Aramaic. But whatever he used, he said it in such a way that they had no bones. of, They had no misunderstanding or Confusion about what he was saying. He was saying, this Jesus is God. He's God. And he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. His death was meaningful. His resurrection was inevitable. And his resurrection proved that his message was true. He came to seek and to save that which was lost by living the perfect life that we can never live and dying in our place. And then he arose. If there's no Jesus, there's no gospel. Well, after we have shared Jesus, if we're going to follow this pattern, we need to call for a response. But remember, whether or not a person says yes to Jesus is up to the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with your finesse your abilities your the effectiveness of how well how well you shared the God it is completely up to the Lord and you know what I may be able to pray with say two two or three people over a long period of time over a year and you may not be able to pray with anyone but you have shared the gospel far more effectively than I have because you've been at this, and you have no idea how much the Lord is using what you're saying. And you don't know where that falls in the, in, 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 in the place that God has designed, the way that God has designed to bring certain people 
to himself. And Peter acknowledged that. He said, God's going to call all those that he wants to himself. It's not me. I'm not worried about that. I'm just telling you the truth. All the steps that have been laid out in this pattern for advancing the gospel, looking for the right opportunity, knowing the word, knowing your audience, and preaching Jesus, preaching the word, are all responsibilities of all Christ followers in one way or another. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who will call men, women, boys, and girls to Jesus. The challenge for us in this last point is to issue the call to follow Jesus. As difficult as the rest of the process is, this may be the toughest. Are you ready to to, to trust Christ? Are you ready to make a decision? Are you ready to repent of your sins? Peter's case, the people were ready. What must we do? That's that's a dream, isn't it, with somebody to say, how do I become? Tell me, I want to know, and I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And you take them to the Word. Peter gave it to him straight. Repent and be baptized. To repent meant, he was saying, change your mind about Jesus. You had him crucified, but he's Messiah. You've got to come to that. And, and implicit in that is a recognition of your sinfulness and your desperate need to ask God's forgiveness for who you are. When Peter called for his audience to be baptized, he was once again very much in touch with his needs, with the needs of his listeners. You, you, see, you don't see this in, in, in a lot of places where they say this is a part of salvation. And he's not saying this. Man, a lot of Romans and Galatians make it so clear that there's no act of obedience that can bring us into a right relationship with God. It's just belief in what He has done for us. And then this act of obedience follows. But what happened for them was <clears throat> they're looking at this and they're saying, Wait a minute. Jews don't get baptized. Converts to Judaism, that's who gets baptized. To which Peter would say, right, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That indicates where your heart is, that you are a 100% follower of Jesus. Peter said that Jesus was Lord in Christ. And if you want to follow him, you need to identify with him. He called people to repentance and belief in Jesus, just as is our charge. How it happens is whether it happens, it's up to God. That's a great thing about sharing the gospel. Well, we're going to continue to preach the gospel. A very, very fine preacher, Ted McKinney is going to come and lead us. And when I say that, I'm serious. Ted shares the gospel all the time. One day in my early years here, I couldn't believe it. I I walked out of church and there's a telephone pole and Ted was sharing the gospel. No, I'm just kidding. But he shares with everybody. And what he's going to say this morning is the gospel. So elders, if you would come and uh, share, uh, help us to lead this.